With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. Boom, the boys are back, and it's time for another Thursday Whip Around show. We got a great lineup for you guys today. I'm going to end with the Wildcat Roundup. I want to get my thoughts on both the K-State Volleyball and soccer team out there before they start Big 12 play. So you guys have to listen to a little bit more of me than I'm sure you would like on a Thursday. But hey, I follow those teams too. I want to get my point of view out there you know, a few times during these whip around shows. Uh, we got Andy Mitts. Yes, Andy Mitts, everyone's favorite uh Podcast host to go back and forth with on Twitter, giving the Big 12 Game of the Week preview of, yes, KU and Duke. What everyone had circled as being the Big 12 Game of the Week uh, for Week 4 when the season started. I have my friend Daryl from Just OK Sports. He's someone who we've chopped it up with multiple times talking K-State, Oklahoma over the last four years. Sadly, (laughs) I mean, because his Sooners are heading off to the SEC, depending on what the schedule looks like next year, might be the last time we get Daryl and our friends from Just OK Sports on Bosco's Boys, so you better cherish that one. Uh, But before all of them, we got the great Cole Manbeck, formerly of the Manhattan Mercury. Now you can hear him on the Kansas City Sports Network with the Three Ma Pod giving you the K-State Primer. So buckle up, folks. We're going to whip around uh, the Great Plains, basically, actually, just Kansas and Oklahoma today. And uh, we're going to get you set for all the weekend's action. So without further ado, let's get to our guy, Cole Manbeck. I'm Cole Manbeck with the Three Mall Podcast on the Kansas City Sports Network, as well as a co-host on PowerCat Game Day, and I'm here to give you the Bosco Boys Primer. What looked like had the potential to be a matchup of two top 25 teams in primetime this Saturday in Norman has lost a significant amount of the buzz after Kansas State laid a dud last weekend, falling to Tulane as a 14-point favorite. The K-State defense was once again terrific, forcing two turnovers while holding the green wave to just 1.4 points per drive, and just one of 12 on third downs. Unfortunately, the K-State offense could not have played much worse. The Wildcats scored just 10 points on 13 offensive drives, an average of 0.77 points per drive, marking the second worst offensive performance in the Chris Kleiman era, only behind the 45 to nothing shutout to Iowa State in the COVID season of 2020. The story of the game boiled down to the Wildcats' inability to convert on third and fourth downs. K-State converted just three of 20 third and fourth down attempts, including going just one of five on fourth downs. 
on the season, K-State's converted just 29% of its third and fourth down attempts, ranking 118th in the country. K-State's offensive line struggled as well against the Green Wave, as did quarterback Adrian Martinez. And while I had urged K-State fans to be patient with the passing game, given the nature of the first two games, there are no more excuses when it came to Saturday struggles. Despite some wind and heat, the weather was mostly fine in this one as K-State faced a two-lane secondary that was 114th in the country last season in pass efficiency defense. The two-lane defense dared Martinez and K-State to throw the ball downfield as the green wave focused on taking away the Wildcats' running game and put an end to Deuce Vaughn's streak of eight consecutive 100-yard rushing games. Unfortunately, Martinez and the Wildcats passing game failed to capitalize. The K-State quarterback was hesitant to throw the ball downfield once again, averaging just 4.8 yards per pass and 7.1 yards per completion in the game. Martinez's struggles have become a major storyline for the K-State offense as it heads into the Big 12 opener against the Sooners. Martinez, who ranked seventh in the country last season in both yards per pass and yards per completion, has been hesitant to cut it loose and take risks. He looks like a completely different player. K-State head coach Chris Kleiman acknowledged as much as a weekly press conference this week, informing the media that he and offensive coordinator Colin Klein met with the signal caller and encouraged him to get back to playing freely like he did during his time in Lincoln. While turnovers were a major problem for Martinez at Nebraska, the fifth-year quarterback has clearly swung too far the other way and become far too risk-averse. While he hasn't turned the ball over in three games, the K-State offense has still become far too easy to defend due to the lack of a downfield passing game. As a result, Martinez enters this contest against the Sooners, ranked 120th out of 121 qualified FBS quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt, while ranking 116th out of 121 qualified QBs in yards per completion. If there's any good news for K-State, it's a Saturday's loss had no impact on the Wildcats' ultimate goal of getting to the Big 12 championship game in Arlington. Everything K-State hoped to accomplish this season still remains on the table for what I believe would be Chris Kleiman's best team at K-State. I myself was so high on the Wildcats, I picked them to win the, or make it to the league's title game this season on our three-maw podcast, and I'm not feeling so great about that right now. While the Wildcats' defense has proven to be plenty good enough to get, the, to get this team to the league's title game, the offense is going to have to show that it can be far more dynamic, starting with the Big 12 opener against the six-ranked Sooners, who are coming off a 49-14 dismantling of Nebraska and Lincoln. I thought Oklahoma would take a step back with the departure of Lincoln Riley and with first-time head coach Brent Venables taking over the Sooner program. So far, I appear to have been wrong. Oklahoma's been dominant through its first three games, outscoring UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska by a combined margin of 127-30. to The Sooners were expected to improve defensively with the presence of Venables, who led one of the country's best defenses for several years at Clemson. However, I didn't expect such a drastic improvement so quickly. The Sooners are allowing just 0.72 points per drive, ranking seventh in the country. For comparison's sake, OU allowed 2.44 points per drive in 2021, ranking 83rd nationally. Oklahoma leads the country with 32 tackles for loss and is number five nationally with 4.3 sacks per game. To date, there's been no weaknesses shown by the Sooner defense, which ranks 22nd nationally in pass efficiency D, 11th in yards per play allowed, and 16th in the country, giving up just 2.8 yards per carry. The Sooner offense has been equally impressive, ranking fourth in the country with an average of nearly 4.4 points per drive. 
one of Venable's most important hires was Jeff Levy, who left his offensive coordinator position at Ole Miss to become the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, and he is not disappointed through three games. The Sooners are led at quarterback by University of Florida Central Florida transfer Dylan Gabriel, who has stepped in to replace Caleb Williams, who followed Lincoln Riley to USC. Gabriel, the 5'11 junior, has been sharp through three games, completing 67% of his passes for 759 yards, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions. That's par for the course for the Hawaii native, who has thrown for nearly 9,000 yards in his four-year career while dialing up a remarkable 77 touchdown passes to just 14 interceptions in his time in college football. There's little doubt Saturday will be Gabriel and OU's toughest test to date, though. The Sooners will be opposed by a K-State defense that ranks third in the country in pass efficiency D and has tallied seven interceptions through three games. The Wildcats are also averaging eight tackles for loss per game, ranking 20th in the country, and are giving up just 4.1 yards per play, ranking 12th best nationally. If there has been one concern for OU through three games, it's protecting Gabriel. The Sooners don't have a proven quarterback behind him on the roster, and Gabriel's coming off a year where he missed most of the season at UCF following a broken collarbone after trying to make a tackle following an interception. Gabriel has probably been put on the ground too much for Venables and Levy's liking so far, as OU is allowing an 8% sack rate, ranking 102nd out of 131 FBS teams. And as we all know, K-State's got a dynamic pass rusher and preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Felix and Yudike Uzama. However, if Nate Matlack, who injured his ankle against Tulane, cannot give it a go and play on the opposite side of Felix and be effective, expect the Sooners to double Felix for much of the game Saturday and to give Gabriel time to find his big play weapon at receiver Marvin Mims. Of note, Mims has 46 catches for more than 1,000 yards since the start of 2021 and is a big play waiting to happen, averaging over 22 yards per reception since the beginning of that 2021 season. The Sooners are a well-balanced attack, having rushed for more than 230 yards per game on the ground while averaging 5.5 yards per rush as a team. Eric Gray, a transfer from Tennessee two years ago, has emerged in the leader at the running back room and is averaging nearly eight yards per carry through three games. The Sooners have two other running backs behind him and Marcus Major and Devontae Barnes, who each have more than 100 yards in the season as well. This was a much-anticipated matchup just a week ago. Buzz was building for the primetime kick on Fox. Much of the excitement has been zapped, however, following the Wildcats' loss to Tulane. But no one is expecting the Wildcats to win now. Many don't expect it to be close following the Green Wave loss. Perhaps that plays the Wildcats' advantage. They play loose and free. And perhaps Oklahoma overlooks K-State a bit after seeing the result against Tulane. And perhaps the loss to the Green Wave served as the wake-up call that gets Adrian Martinez back to being the Martinez of old at Nebraska. He's got to cut it loose and take some risks if K-State hopes to have any shot of pulling the upset as a 13-point underdog Saturday. I do expect an improved performance by K-State's offense and a solid effort by the D, but in the end, I think the more talented team playing at home prevails. I'll take Oklahoma 34, K-State 20. I appreciate Bosco boys and Scott, as always, and all the great content he pumps out. Uh, I know Scott just celebrated his 500th episode on Bosco Boys. What a tremendous accomplishment in the four-plus years they've been hosting this show. Encourage everyone to check it out, continue to listen. I also encourage you all to check out the Three Maw podcast co-hosted by myself, Derek Young, the publisher of the K-State On3 website. Also encourage you to go subscribe there. Uh, Derek puts out and his team puts out some of the best K-State content you'll find. 
And then also John Kurtz, who also co-hosts our podcast on the KC Sports Network. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Just search KCSN, K-State Athletics, and subscribe. You can also check out our YouTube channel on the KCSNU channel. We moved to a new channel recently on the KC Sports Network platform to KSNU, which is where the college channels are housed. Be sure to subscribe there. Check us out. Uh, you can watch all the interviews we have with guests and, and what be it on that channel whenever you feel the need to do so. Uh, each Monday, we'll have a post-game wrap-up show come out. Every Thursday, we'll have a show preview of the upcoming game. And then, as always, when there's emergency news to break or any sort of urgent developments, we'll have emergency podcasts that are out and available. Additionally, if you're in Manhattan this Saturday, be sure to come out to Tanner's in Aggieville for a watch party for the Oklahoma game. John and I are going to be on site hosting a pregame and postgame three-mall show for that OU game. There will be drink specials brought to you by our friends with 360 Vodka. Be there by 6, get a table. We're going to have a fun night. D.Y., um, as part of the pod, he'll be in Norman on site at the game, so he won't be able to join us. But uh, we're still going to have some fun. John and I will be there, and hopefully we'll have a guest or two that uh, can come visit with us. So be sure to check that out. We'll be going live on our YouTube channel for a pre- and post-game show on Saturday for the OU game. You can also listen into PowerCat Game Day at 3 p.m. Saturday for the two-hour pregame show co-hosted by Mitch Fortner, the PA voice of the Wildcats here in your stadium and Bill Snyder Family Stadium every Saturday, and then Derek Young and myself. I'm Cole Manbeck. Thanks again for listening to this Bosco Boys Primer. I appreciate Scott having me on. And thank you to... Cole Manbeck, you know, I don't like to play favorites on who might be my favorite, uh, you know, person on the three ma pod. Don't tell Derek. I think it might be Cole. Don't tell John. I think it might be Cole. I don't know. I always love it when we can get Cole involved in the show. All right. Now we are going to go to a guy. I, I think and I'd have to go back. I think he was involved with the. First involved in the Big 12 25th anniversary show. And sadly, <laughs> sadly, uh, he will not be involved in the Big 12 you know, 30th anniversary show if we do one of those later on uh, you know, here in a couple years. But it's my guy Daryl with Just OK Sports, one of my favorite, maybe the only Sooner fan that I like, but they do a great job over there. So let's kick it to him and see what our friends in Crimson and Cream think or is going to happen on Saturday. Hello, K-State fans and Bosco Boys fans. This is Daryl Reininger. I am with Just OK Sports. Um, that is Just OK Sports. You can find us on uh, Twitter and as well as anywhere you find your podcasts and YouTube. Uh, we focus mainly on uh, the Oklahoma Sooners and Oklahoma City Thunder basketball. Um, and so anything that has to do with those two things, you will find a lot on our podcast. And that's where we go. But we are obviously in college football season. So let's give you a little bit of a primer to this game of the Wildcats versus the Sooners this weekend. First, let's give you a recap of last week. 
Uh, the Sooners had took their first road trip this weekend to Lincoln, Nebraska uh, to rekindle an old rivalry with the Cornhuskers. Um, obviously in the midst of a lot of transition right now with the firing of Scott Frost, interim head coach, etc., um, and also a team that had lost, I believe, 13 straight games by one score or less. And so it was an interesting spot, especially with OU having to go to the transfer portal and a lot of guys coming in from much smaller schools that had never been in an environment like that. So I would say that most Sooner fans were kind of uh, interested to see how that would go. And early, it did not look good. Uh, the offense sputtered, punted the ball away only for Nebraska to drive straight down the field and score very, very quickly to go up seven to zero. Um, again, made everybody a little bit nervous and worried about what the rest of the game would look like. But the Sooners would go on to rattle off 49 unanswered points um, and have their backups enter the game with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And so this one got out of hand very, very quickly. And obviously it seems as though they handled their road trip uh, very, very well. As far as expectations this year for the Sooners, uh, for us on our podcast, we have all kind of agreed. We felt like the floor for this team with the talent that they have um, was nine and three. Um, and the ceiling would be like an 11 and one season going on to win the big 12. Um, and then just kind of seeing what bowl you would get into. I don't think any of us have any thought that this team can go into the playoff and make any noise um, more. So hoping for a new year, six bowl was kind of the ceiling for this team. And so far, all of those things are intact and still in front of them and possible for them to attain as far as storylines on the season for Oklahoma. Obviously the number one storyline is, Lincoln Riley choosing to go out west and taking along with him the entire defensive staff uh, to USC and Brent Venables coming and bringing an entirely new defensive staff to Oklahoma. Um, and so that's obviously the big one. This is a Brent Venables who was the D coordinator here for nearly a or just over a decade, went on to be a 13 year defensive coordinator at Clemson and also was a coach linebacker coach at K-State back in the day. In all 20 plus years of his coaching, he has never coached a losing season. And I'm sure that most of you as K-State fans know that as he is one of your own from back in the day. Um, and that's definitely storyline number one is just what will it look like for Brent Venables to be a head coach? I would say thus far going through the season, Sooner fans are more than excited with what they have gotten in him as the head coach. Uh, the one other storyline I would say going in right now in this season is Dylan Gabriel, um, a quarterback transfer taking the place of Caleb Williams, obviously. And so um, Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, the new offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, were together at UCF, had a very, very good run um, of numbers and touchdowns and productivity there. Uh, Dylan Gabriel was looking to transfer to UCLA. The news came out that Caleb Williams was transferring away. Phone call from Jeff Levy, and the next thing you know, Dylan Gabriel is here. And so um, be interesting to see if he can carry on the legacy of great quarterback play at Oklahoma going to the season. So far, it has been good, not great, um, but definitely efficient enough to be 3-0. and oh, And I would say fans are pretty excited about where he could go through the rest of the season. Um, as far as a couple guys for you all to watch on each side of the ball, uh, and look for. Let's start on the offense. The number one player to look for is Marvin Mims. Um, I would say that most Oklahoma fans, even last year, were very frustrated with the lack of use of Marvin Mims. Um, as a matter of fact, um, it came out through the offseason and Big 12 media days. Marvin Mims was about to put his name into the transfer portal and leave Oklahoma if Lincoln Riley had stayed 
at OU. Um, but because Lincoln Riley and staff left, he chose to stay. Um, and he has been magnificent uh, through the first three games and is looking like one of the best wide receivers in the country. Um, so you're definitely going to want to keep your eyes on him. Another guy on offense to keep your eyes on. This is not um, necessarily a super sexy uh, pick. But if you really love the nerdy side and the trench side and just in the weed side of football, keep your eyes on number nine, Braden Willis. Um, he will be a factor in the passing game from the tight end position as well as in the slot position. But what has been really fun to watch in his game is his blocking has gone to another level at that position. And he has already had several highlights this year where he is 30 and 40 yards down the field, leading the way, blocking, making the way for a long touchdown run on the season. Um, and so if you watch him, you tend to watch good things happen on the field. So that's another guy to keep an eye on on the day. Defensively, uh, it has to start up front uh, with Reggie Grimes. He leads the team in sacks, tackles for loss. Um, he was a very high four-star recruit coming out of high school from the Tennessee area. And now here and has really come into his own in this defense. And what's really fun is, again, in the offseason, uh, Reggie Grimes coming out of high school begged to be one of Brent Venable's players at Clemson. That did not work out. He ends up here, but now he is reunited with Brent Venables. And so he is getting to live his dream, and it seems to be a match made in heaven. The second guy that I would tell you to look for, because he is crazy, he hits hard, he's fast, and he is big as Danny Stutzman. Six foot four, 230-pound linebacker um, that can really, really, really run. Um, and so you're going to want to keep your eyes on him. He is a true sophomore, but is playing like a veteran in this system already, um, which is really, really good. And I know um, in talking, we talked about two, but let me add a third. One guy to keep an eye on if he is going to get to play much this week is going to be Jaron Kanick. Uh, Jaron Kanick is a true freshman. He has already spent time in reserve duty um, playing middle linebacker as well as an outside linebacker known as the Cheetah in Brent Venables' defense. Um, so it's been pretty remarkable in the detailed orientedness that Brent Venables' defense is that a true freshman was able to learn two positions um, and be able to get on the field and play them. As a matter of fact, uh, Canick got in the game last week in the first half um, due to uh, Deshaun White being ejected for a targeting call. He ended up leading the team in tackles last week as a true freshman in a position that he had not yet played in live action. So if he does play, keep your eyes on Jaron Kanick. You're going to want to see him and see what he is all about. One or two keys for the OU team to win this game. Uh, the number one is this, the play of the offensive line. Uh, game one and two, the numbers were great. The line was not. Um, if you really just watched it with a critique, uh, critical eye, I should say, um, it did not look very good. They looked much better against Nebraska, but that needs to continue. And obviously, Kansas State is going to be the best D-line they have seen by far this season. Um, so we're going to see what they are made up. But they are going to have to hold up, and they are going to have to bring the running game uh, for OU to have a chance um, in this game. Defensively, I feel like it's almost the same. It's the front seven. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn is your bell cow, and he is electric. And so the front seven is going to have to be very smart and look at their details to not only bottle him up in the run game, but watch him as he leaks out in screens and into the flat because him in space against anyone else is absolutely dangerous. So those two units have to be at tip-top shape. As far as K-State, the ways that they might try to exploit the Sooners, number one, like I just said, the O-line has not looked great this year. Personally, if I was a K-State coach, 
I would test this offensive line often and early. I would bring different looks and different blitzes and see how they hold up. I would bull rush the offensive line with every D lineman you have um, and see where it goes. Now, if they play like they did last week, I think they could hold up. But if they play like they did the first two weeks, I think it could really wreak havoc for the Sooners. And so I think that that's spot number one. And then number two, um, I would imagine that most teams are scheming against your run game and not really believing in Martinez as a thrower. And so I would say that that's something that I would do early and often as well to see if you can catch them sleeping and not really being ready for that within this game, um, you know, to, to kind of get things going. The last thing that I would say is this um, it, the other kind of strategy that K-State could choose to play is a bend-don't-break defense. Um, obviously, OU is going to go very fast tempo. They're going to try to get up and down the field and spread things out. But if you can get down in the red zone and hold them, um, it has been very shaky thus far for the field goal kicking for OU. So obviously, holding teams to field goals over touchdowns is always a win. Um, but it could really be a win with OU because we're really not sure what we have in our place kicker right now. So that's another area uh, that K-State could really choose to exploit. As far as my prediction on the game, um, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, that I believe that OU will win this game, but I believe it'll be a tale of two halves. I'm not sure which way this will go, but I believe that one half will be just a defensive battle um, with very, very few points scored. And I believe another half is going to be an offensive explosion for both teams. And it's just going to be a matter of which team has more offensive firepower. That's why I'm picking the Sooners. I believe in Dylan Gabriel over Martinez at this point in the season. I'm picking 37-24 OU to win this game. Hope this has helped get you ready for the game. Excited to see some of you all in Norman this next week. Feel free to reach out to us. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Just OK Sport, um, and you can also find us anywhere that you get your podcast. Um, if you want to look there for Just OK Sports, and we even have a merch store that makes fun of Lincoln Riley, so check that out, and that is on redbubble.com. So again, just search Just OK Sports, and you will find us there. Again, I'm Daryl Reiniger. Thanks so much for letting me preview this game, and again, should be a good one. We'll see you in Norman this week. And there we have it. Sadly, maybe unless we uh, play in a Sugar Bowl down the line, or hopefully maybe we get to play our friends down in Oklahoma one more time next year. But thank you to my guy, Daryl, again. I know we have some Oklahoma City Thunder fans here in the Bosco's Boys Bonehead Nation, so be sure to check them out, uh, not only for some college football and occasionally college basketball stuff, but they do a great job following and talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder as well. Okay, so without further ado, uh, you know, our, our, our friends in Lawrence, Kansas have a pretty big game this weekend versus Duke. Who would have thought that uh, Duke versus KU was going to have a combined 8-0 and record, or 6-0 and record coming into uh, the game, but we're going to talk to Andy Mitz, part of the 1012 Network, host of the Rock Chalk podcast, getting people ready for the Big 12 game of the week. I'll be giving you guys the uh, Wildcat Roundup, talking about K State volleyball and soccer after that. So if, if you can't bear to listen to Andy, fast forward 10 minutes or so, and then you'll get to hear me 
give my thoughts on K-State soccer and volleyball heading into Big 12 play. So let's get to Mr. Andy Mitts. Hey everyone, this is Andy Mitz. I am the host of the Rock Chalk Podcast here on the 1012 Network and the Sports Drink Network. Um, absolutely excited about the fact that this Kansas-Duke game was picked as the game of the week in the Big 12. And and honestly, there's a really good reason for it. The fact that Kansas is 3-0, the Duke is 3-0. You know, this was a game that was being bandied about by a bunch of national people, you know, as a potential game day, um, you know, destination because of how important it is. The fact that Kansas is doing this in a year that I think a lot of people were not ready for this. There's a lot of people that I think that were surprised by how good this Kansas team has been in this year, which, you know, I, I, I can definitely understand that sentiment. Um, I can definitely understand why people are this surprised. I'm even more surprised. I think that Duke is three and zero at this point with who they ended up playing and the way that their offenses looked. But, you know, this game in and of itself is an absolute showcase of teams that you don't normally see at the top of college football that are both undefeated, that are both trying to remain undefeated and put themselves in a really good position for a bowl game, something that neither of these teams have done in quite a while. So the fact that this is an opportunity for Kansas to be able to do this at home, the first of three home games, um, is huge for them. These are gigantic stakes because once you get past this three-game road stretch, you have, I'm sorry, a three-game home stretch, you have a three-game road or a, a two-game road stretch at Oklahoma and then at Baylor and then have to come home against Oklahoma State. Um, so, you know, you're looking at three very potential, uh, big potential for losses there, you know, unless this Kansas team is a lot better than even I think they are at this point. So, um, you know, there's a lot for them to prove here what they can do, you know, and then and then really kind of figure out what it is that they can go ahead and do. And and on the Duke side, like this is important for them. This is the first year under Mike Elko. This is a huge opportunity for them to show what they're able to do, to show that they're way ahead of schedule. Um, you know, they had to make a pretty big change um, away from their prior head coach, David Cutcliffe. Um, you know, it, things were stagnating there. It was just time for them to make a change. And I don't think that people from the Duke side expected them to be able to move on this quickly and be this good this fast. So it will be interesting to see what Duke brings into this game, how well their offense able to perform, and what their defense is able to do. Um, in terms of off-the-field storylines, I think the biggest one really just has to be for Kansas. Um, you know, the fact that this is probably going to be the first sellout that they've had at home in a really long time. I believe, I, I haven't had actually had an opportunity to look up the number. Um, there's been some, you know, conflicting reports around there. But I believe the last time they actually had a an, an actual sellout, where every single ticket was sold and there was butts in those seats um, was, I believe, a game back in 2011 um, when, you know, they thought they actually were going to be able to come back. It may have even been before that, back in the 2009 year when, you know, they were coming down from the Mark Mangino era. So it's been a really long time since this has actually been a sellout where everybody has been there. And that entire, you know, there was there were stories about how prior um, ADs, Jeff Long, Shane Zinger, we're, we're making comments about how, you know, this these fans needed to come out and support the team to allow them to get back to where they needed to be. And this instead, I think, was a team that took a huge leap forward and has brought a bunch of excitement back to the Jayhawk program and given the fans a really good reason to come out and watch this game. Duke also is not very notorious for traveling well, especially for football. So there's a good chance that this will be a full stadium and it will be 95% Kansas fans, which is going to be a huge, awesome sight to see. 
Um, I'll be happy to actually be there to cover it live. So I will definitely have to enjoy that. In terms of on the field, obviously the main guy to look at would be Jalen Daniels. Um, you know, the, the Heisman hopeful from, from the Jayhawks. He has been absolutely electric, both passing and on the field in terms of on the ground running. Um, the fact that he brings that ability to run and to get out at any point um, allows for a lot more misdirection, allows for a lot more things that Kansas can do. You know, they have a backup quarterback in Jason Bean who is credited as being the fastest guy on the team. Um, he does not get on the field very often because of what they have everywhere else. I think if you look across the rest of the team, obviously Jalen Daniels is the star for this team because he's the guy that gets the ball most when he is on offense. But, you know, they have a full room of wide receivers who are able to uh, really, like all of them play a very similar style, give Jalen Daniels a lot of opportunities to do the same sort of things to a bunch of different guys. They had 11 different players catch a pass in the, in the win against Houston down in Houston. They have four running backs that all can run the ball in addition to Jalen Daniels running the ball himself. So they have a lot of different things that they can potentially do. I think really the question though for this team is that defense. The defense has given up a decent number of points, but when you score as much as you do offensively, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, for you know the defense to not necessarily worry as much about keeping the opponent completely off the scoreboard. The other thing to keep an eye on for the Jayhawks is the fact that they rotate so many guys through. They have had 25 different players play defensively this season so far and play enough minutes to, you know, for it to be registered as significant. So the fact that they rotate so many guys, they've worn down opponents over the course of a game because of, you know, they're rotating like 10 different guys on that defensive line. Um, and I think the other biggest thing to kind of watch from Kansas is that they have had a different player step up defensively in big roles in every single game that they've had. So it's not a matter of one, you know, stud defensive guy that you can attack or find ways to avoid. They have talent across the entire defense. It's not to the same level of like a Kansas State defense, but it is, I think, at least passable in the Big 12 to give the offense an opportunity to win games, which is something that they have not been able to do for a really long time because of the imbalance in the in, in both sides of the ball. So in terms of important things for Kansas, the main thing really is to just make sure that you're not turning the ball over offensively. Um, you know, Kansas is so talented offensively, has so many different options that as long as they're taking care of the ball, they are going to find openings, they're going to find ways to go ahead and score. And of course, the second one is just to make sure that you, they don't ever, you know, give up on themselves. This is a team that has very, been shown very resilient. They've gone down 14 nothing in their last two games and came storming back, you know, the first time. They, uh, I forget what the actual run was against West Virginia, but they came back, you know, the first drive after halftime and tied it up and then went ahead and took the lead pretty quickly. Uh, against Houston, they went down 14 nothing and immediately ran off from that point forward a 42 to 7 run against the Houston Cougars. So it's absolutely phenomenal to watch what they're able to do. For Duke, the, the, what they need to do is again, rely on that offense. They have multiple options. They have some misdirection that they can do. They have guys that are very talented and they actually have their own fastest guy on the team was a backup quarterback, got moved out to wide receiver, um, to allow them to be able to get him on the field and make those kind of plays. They're nowhere near as deep from top to bottom at the offensive positions as the Jayhawks, but they are very talented and they're going to have to go blow for blow with this Kansas offense if they are hoping to win this game. The other thing too is they've got to find a way to avoid making big mistakes on the defense. Um, just got done talking with, with a, with a guy who covers Duke and what he, the main thing he said was that their defensive line is a lot thinner, um, than what they would like. And they have a secondary that was not very good last year and got a whole bunch of new guys. The hope, obviously, with them being as bad as they were last year is that that's an improvement, bringing in new guys that can actually do 
what they need them to do. But unfortunately, um, there's a lot of open questions still with who they faced about whether the defense is going to be able to hold up. They have not faced an offense like what the Kansas Jayhawks have, so it will be very interesting to see what they're able to do. In terms of game prediction, I think regardless, we're going to see a lot of points scored, whether that's all Kansas because Kansas is just going ballistic and the defense is, you know, is doing very, very good things and able to get big turnovers and Kansas pushes that, you know, that, uh, that margin really, really quickly. Or if we see a back and forth where Duke, you know, is getting a bunch of hits and being able to go back and forth, I I would not be shocked either way. I do think that this defense for Kansas has a lot of opportunities, especially late. I do think that regardless of how well Duke stays with them for the first half or the first three quarters, you get to that fourth quarter. I think Kansas depth defensively, is going to allow them to do a lot of different things. And I just don't know that the defensive line for Duke is going to be able to get enough pressure on Jalen Daniels to stop him from scoring in that fourth quarter. Kansas has not given up a sack at all this year. Um, It will be interesting to see if they can keep Duke from getting any sacks as well. So I do think that this game is a huge opportunity for the Jayhawks, a huge opportunity for Kansas to kind of shake things up in the Big 12. They are looking like one of the best teams in the Big 12 right now, at least with the way that they're currently playing. They have the least number of, I think, questions that we don't know what the answer is. You can you can argue about maybe what you think their top-level talent is like, but I don't think you can argue about not knowing what this team intends to do or not knowing how this team intends to do it. Um, so while we can argue about what the the top level for them or the ceiling that they can potentially hit. You don't have a situation like you have with say a Baylor where you wonder, you know, how good Blake Shapin is going to be this year or a situation like Texas about when is, you know, Quinn Ewers going to come back? Like, what are they going to get offensively from the quarterback position? Or even like in Oklahoma, right? Like a team that has struggled with some teams like Kent state that they necessarily shouldn't have, but then all of a sudden went on a big tear. So, um, you know, and it's also not a situation like with TCU where they've had looked absolutely phenomenal in their two games, but they haven't really played anybody that gives you an idea of what they're able to do. So I think there is a lot of, I think, answers that need to be found from a lot of other teams in the Big 12. The Jayhawks know what they're doing. They know what they have and who is going to be doing it. It's just a matter of how well is it going to stack up and how well are these other teams going to find themselves before the Jayhawks get to them. So um, thank you guys for your interest in this game. I am really excited about it. Um, make sure after this game is over that if you want more information about how it went, if you want to get some intel on the Jayhawks, you come over and listen to our podcast, the Rock Chalk podcast. I also do jump on the 1012 podcast, um, the the flagship podcast of the network with Philip um, and Jamie every single Monday to recap the week that was. So make sure that you're catching that one. Make sure you're catching the Rock Chalk podcast. And of course, all the other wonderful podcasts that we have here on the 1012 podcast network because everybody does a great job covering their teams and you can get a ton of really great information about all those teams you guys are going to be playing in the next few weeks and thank you to andy mitts who gave us that preview of case or ku and duke which is the big 12 game of the week all right well we are going to end this whip around with the wildcat roundup and it is i'm going to be the one giving it uh today mainly because uh with getting some other folks to do these i haven't been able to get out here and talk about uh you know k-state soccer k-state volleyball and these are two sports I love watching. I, I, I legitimately think that 
college basketball or college volleyball is probably just behind men's basketball and just in front of women's basketball uh, for my favorite collegiate sports to watch. And I really enjoy watching soccer as well. I mean, everyone sees me tweeting about soccer as well. So these are teams that I enjoy following, uh, teams that I enjoy watching. So I'm going to get my takes in here uh, and, and we'll go from there. Let's start with soccer because actually both these teams are about to start Big 12 play. Uh, when it comes to soccer, again, it, 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 it wasn't a great or like a super salty non-conference season uh, by any means. Uh, they played nine games. They're 4-4-1, four, four, and one, losing uh, to probably the, the better teams that we played in the non-conference. Uh, you know, we, we lost to South Dakota State, which is actually a pretty good soccer program that was on the road. Uh, they lost uh, 2-1 versus Purdue. They lost 2-1 versus Northwestern. So they still have not been able to grab one of those Power 5 non-conference victories. Uh, but they did get a tie with Northern Colorado. Uh, they beat uh, UT uh, Rio Grande Valley. They lost to UTSA, which was a bad one. Uh, but they beat uh, Weber State. They beat Yale. They beat Colorado State 3-0. So again, they haven't, they've only been shut out of one game so far this season. Only South Dakota has been able to shut out this team, which, again, is something that I always had issues with. We, we, we were lacking goal scoring. Now, if you look at some of the games, you know, it's a 1-0 it's a victory here or losing 1-2, only getting 1. They haven't been able to get multiple, vic- or multiple goals in the game outside of that win versus Colorado State, but they were able to get some shutouts. This is where I'm worried about the Mike DeBini experience, the Mike DeBini uh, era, you know, basically all of K-State soccer. We, we have never been a squad that is going to be banging in multiple goals, and it's not like they have become a team that is going to keep a lot of clean sheets. That was an issue last year. Not many clean sheets and not a lot of goals. That is not going to be a recipe for success in the Big 12. Now, this soccer team's ultimate goal is to make it to the Big 12 tournament. They have not done that yet in their years uh, playing. The COVID year, I think they would have gotten there if they had the postseason, the Big 12 tournament. Um, But alas, it wasn't there. And then I think the first couple years they played as an independent. But they still have not made it to Big 12 postseason play. Now, if you look at how the Big 12 fared so far or in in the non-conference, you see a potential for this team to maybe not shoot higher than just finishing, you know, eighth, which is what you need to do. Uh, to get to postseason play. And and some of these schools 100% had tougher non-conference schedules, 100%. But West Virginia is 3-3-3, Baylor's 2-4-2, and and Iowa State is 3-3-2. Now, Texas Tech, 4-2-3, again, only four wins so far, a a tougher non-conference. KU, 7-3 in their non-conference, you know, (laughs) We've seemed to have KU's number. I'm not going to worry about uh, chasing after them right now because they have a salty squad. But again, this, we haven't seen a dominant performance across the board in the Big 12. So I think there is 
no reason to accept as as K State fans. If you care about non uh, you know Big Two sports, I, I hate calling them non revenue, but if, but if you care about uh, some of these sports outside of just football and basketball. I think it is more than fair to demand and expect that this is the year that Coach Dabini's team finishes outside of the cellar, gets to postseason play. And here's the thing. I I think this team is capable of finishing 6th or 7th in the Big 12. Now, that all goes out the window if they can't get a win on Thursday. If you guys are listening to this on Thursday, on release day, the whip around on ESPN+, Plus, they're going to Iowa State. Iowa State was the team that... I'm not going to say stole, but in the final game of the regular season, they got a late goal, beat us, and they got to go on to the Big 12 tournament while we had to sit at home once again. It's up in Ames. It's 6 p.m. on ESPN+. As I was reading through those those standings, again, Iowa State has three wins, three draws, or three wins, three losses, and two draws. So they've been able to grab, you know, a few points here or there. I think it's we have more points than they do. So and and they're not a juggernaut program. Mike Debini and this team needs to start hot. They need to get a couple goals, and I would love to see them keep a clean sheet. Iowa State is not a program that is going to be banging in a lot of goals. They've gone goalless a handful of times. Already this season. And they've given up some goals as well. This is a game that I've had circled all offseason saying if Mike Dabini and if this K-State soccer program is going to take a step forward, they need to find a way to win that game. Now the second Big 12 game, and this one is on Saturday, is versus Oklahoma State. They're one of the better Big 12 soccer programs. They're currently 7-1-1. I think that they're the favorites to win the Big 12. That one's at home. Get out there if you'd like to, you know, have a day out at Boozer Family Park. Oh, no, that's Sunday at 1 p.m. So if you're in the area, it's a Title IX celebration day. So if you want to get out there, see some really good athletes out there, the Oklahoma State women's soccer team is very good. So I'm not going to be holding my breath for that one. But we really need to see a dub versus Iowa State if we have any shot, any shot at being able to get to postseason play. And then if you want to even dream bigger, finishing 6th or 7th, instead of just being like, phew, finally finally finishing 8th, that's the one that we're going to need to see. That's the one we're going to need to see. Uh, Obviously... It's going to come down to hopefully getting some goals. It's going to hopefully come down to getting a clean sheet, but I'm going to have my eye on it. Now, also getting ready for Big 12 play is the volleyball squad. Now, K-State volleyball had much higher expectations than K-State soccer, obviously. They opened everything up Saturday, 4 p.m., Versus KU. KU, I believe, is coming into this matchup ranked. Or at least they've been ranked throughout the non-conference. And here is my frustration with the K-State non-conference slate. Now, we've taken care of business. But 
We've lost to just about every team that has a shot at making noise in the postseason. We lost to 17th ranked Creighton. We lost to Loyola Chicago. We lost to UCF. And then we lost to Rice as well. And what's a little bit troubling, because this happened in the Rice game and this happened in the UCF game as well, is getting up two sets to nothing and not killing it off. This almost happened versus Missouri as well. Now I understand wanting to rotate you know, through the squad. I understand, hey, you're up two sets to none. Maybe wanting to experiment a little bit. But Susie Fritz's squad needs to have a killer instinct. They need to finish these games off. Because again, if you end up finishing the game off versus UCF and finishing the game off versus Rice, yeah, it's disappointing to lose to Creighton. It's disappointing to lose to Loyola Chicago. But those are understandable. You finish off these, you know, getting out to a 2-0 lead early, you're on the borderline of the top 25. And while maybe not having a marquee victory, I mean, UCF is might be salty this year. I don't know enough about Rice's squad to know uh, how salty they may or may not be. But you're able to have a pretty good-looking non-conference record. Now you turn around and you have to play a KU team that swept you last year when we thought that a bid was going to be on the line. Luckily we got in anyways. But you got swept by your in-state rival when you needed it the most. Now if you look at the non-conference records again, much saltier across and I realize that the uh, adjective, the choice that I'm liking is salty. But it's it's a much better performance across the entire league in volleyball. KU's 10-2, K-State's 9-4, Oklahoma 10-2, Baylor 10-2, Texas Tech 11-2, Texas with a bunch of Olympians 8-0. You have Iowa State 8-5, West Virginia 6-6, six six, TCU 5-6. So you need to hit the ground running, send a message to KU, and start getting things rolling in Big 12 play. Now, Aaliyah Carter, I think, has probably been underachieving a little bit. Is she a little banged up? Are they trying to do, you know, load management? Is something just a little bit off? I don't know. I think she's underperformed the all-American expectations that we've put put out there on her. That said, Elena Baca, who is the transfer from St. Mary's, she has had a great non-conference slate and maybe been the more dangerous of hitters on this team. We've seen Sydney Bolding transferring in from uh, Jacksonville. She's also had a good start to the non-conference season. Mackenzie Morris at the Libera, she was playing pretty good as well. And then also moving in Lauren Hinkle, To be a setter. She hasn't played that since high school travel volleyball. Has she been perfect? No, she is not. But the first time playing setter in college volleyball, first time since travel ball in high school, I I think she's been all right. 
Now, I want to see this team get hot, stay hot, and really beat all the teams that you're supposed to, sweep the teams you're supposed to, sweep the bottom half of the Big 12, and try to split with a couple teams and maybe pull off a sweep versus a KU. Get to a point where hopefully in Big 12 play, you're above a winning record, and that should be enough to get you into the NCAA tournament because the Big 12 is such a good RPI league. But that's not going to happen if they don't have the killer instinct to kill some games off. It's not going to happen where in the third set they're going to have a ton of errors. Because that's another thing about this squad. They're pretty good on the defensive side of things. But we are having quite a few errors. So hopefully we can clean that up. I'm going to have my eyes very sharply on this volleyball team. And honestly on the soccer team as well. When you are investing at the level K-State is in the facilities. They built that soccer stadium. They're building the one of, if not the best, volleyball-specific arenas in the entire nation. I think it is more than fair enough to, at this point in the soccer team's life, to start expecting that they're not finishing in the cellar, getting to the Big 12 tournament, and expecting volleyball to get back to being a perennial NCAA tournament team. So it's going to be a very interesting start to Big 12 season play for both of these squads. Again, volleyball is going versus KU, 4 p.m. ESPN Plus in Bramlage Coliseum. Soccer, Thursday, 6 p.m. ESPN Plus up in Ames, Iowa. Again, these are two massive games. If we want to accomplish what we have set out to do in volleyball and soccer, these both need to be wins. And again, you'll be able to check both of them out on ESPN+. And then soccer is uh, at Boozer Family Park uh, uh, 1 p.m. on Sunday. That's all we got for the Thursday whip around. Uh, if you're listening to this live, again, make sure you're checking out both the volleyball and soccer matches this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. If you can't get there in person, tomorrow you guys are going to hear the Bonehead live show to get you ready for the Oklahoma game. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to the game preview, the Q&A, and the Tulane uh, review if you're a little bit of a glutton for punishment. So for everyone who loves K-State volleyball and soccer, anyone who's going to be watching Big 12 football this week for Chauncey Bosco, the Wonder Pup, and my co-host, I am Scott Wildcat. We love you guys, and go Cats. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fight. Hail alma mater, from sea to sea, onward Fight UK State Wildcats for alma mater fights. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. 
Podcast Network.